Welcome to Nailing the Apex, everyone. I'm Tim Harini, joined today by Aston Martin development driver. It's Jessica Hawkins. Jessica, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. Whereabouts are you today? Uh, I'm in the factory today, actually. In the uh, factory. So the brand new state-of-the-art factory. So I got to do uh, a tour of that during the British Grand Prix weekend. Uh, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible. Yeah, it is, and it's only growing as well. So this is just building one of three that are going up. So yeah, um, it's going to be even bigger and better shortly. And then the old factory, did you ever like get to work in there or see it? Yeah, I actually did my um, my seat fit for the car in the old factory oh. um, because the, the, the test um, was planned to go ahead um, a while ago, but we were hit by bad weather, so that's why it didn't happen. Um, but yeah, uh, I got to I got to work in the history of that factory too. That's incredible. Uh, well, today we wanted to get you on the show uh, to talk a bit about your your recent outing in the AMR twenty one, uh, becoming the first female to drive an F one car since two thousand and eighteen, uh, which I believe was Tatiana Calderon in, in Mexico City, and that was following I think the Mexico Grand Prix in the Sauber. Um, so how does all of that work? You know, you're sitting around one day and all of a sudden, you know, Mike Crack calls you up and says, hey, we're going to put you in the F1 car. I mean, how did you find out that you'd be taking part in this test? And I guess, where were you? What were you doing? I This actually goes all the way back to car launch 2022. So the beginning of last year, and it was Martin Whitmarsh that said to me, mm. we'd like to put you in the car. Um, but we need to find a way of its of when it can be possible and if and how and all these questions um, and that's really how it happened so I had a long period of time where I didn't really hear much while they were because we've been in big developments with our evolution team which is now up and running which is how it happened basically but yeah there was a long period of time where I was kind of in this limbo where I I didn't know if it was definitely happening um, but equally I, ha I had I had time to prepare and everything for it so yeah uh, it goes back quite some time now but um, it was really, you know, Mike Crack also had a lot to do with it. So did Andy Stevenson. Um, and yeah, it's been a big drive from everyone, really. So, like, did you find out a few months before it actually were, were to happen? Like, how long were you having to, I guess, wait before you actually knew exactly when you were going to get in the car? So it should have happened, I think it was November last year. Um, and I, again, I had a couple of months notice. Um, and then it should have happened again earlier on this year. Can't remember the month. Um, but then we had this date for Budapest, and I think maybe I had two or three months. Mm. Um, but it wasn't a hundred percent confirmed to me um, at the time. It was. It was kind of a we're going to try and get you in on this date, um, and then it was not confirmed until really not that long before it actually happened. But I knew it was heavily on the cards and and even though I didn't have the 100% go ahead until relatively close to the time I knew it was a big possibility um, a few months beforehand who were you allowed to like were you allowed to talk to anyone about it because like that's a big you know, sort of secret to kind of keep under your hat for a racing driver who's going to get that opportunity um yeah it was difficult to keep quiet I guess I told a few close friends and my parents and some close family but to be honest, uh, I felt like the more people that knew, the more pressure there would be. And I was kind of happy to a certain extent to, to, to keep it to myself and just tell a few friends and family. But 
yeah, once I'd done it, then it was really difficult to not tell people. <laughs> I had a good few days wait, but then it's finally nice to be able to talk about it now. Well, we also have a, a lot of questions from fans uh, as well that I'll mix in here. So the first question comes from Ryan Esch, and he asks, you know, what's the biggest adjustment when transitioning from a lower formula to driving an F1 car? I've driven a lot of cars and a lot of fast cars and a lot of different variations of race cars and this, and but I don't think anything will ever quite compare to it. It's really downforce is incredible but what hit me the most i think was the shocking fact it was the braking the capabilities of the braking are just insane and not one that you can replicate um obviously at high speeds on heavy braking points there's so much aero on the car and obviously the the brakes themselves it just you know it stops with a click of a finger and it is it's insane but every single part of driving it blew me away and um i don't think I, I was trying to compare it to something, and I just I can't think of anything to compare it to. Did you like have to like how was that? I guess the transitioning into building the confidence for the the actual braking zone itself. I mean, is it did it take you know did it take a while to kind of build up to where I guess almost the limit of braking is? I guess maybe a couple of laps, but I've done so much preparation in the hmm. sim, um, and the sim is really really lifelike. So I knew that the car was possible to break at X point. So it just maybe took a couple of laps to get to that point, just to kind of really have confidence in it, you know? Um, and yeah, I guess I did so much preparation in the sim, I felt ready and I knew what the car was capable of. So I took the first lap to just, I didn't push in the first lap. I took the time to make sure my belts were right, nothing was digging in, the seat was in the right position, the steering was right, the pedals weren't too far away or too close. And that's the time I took kind of for myself to make sure that I was able to give it everything I had because I didn't want to, you know, if my if, if the throttle was too close or, mm -hmm. or something so simple like that can really affect your performance in the car. So I, honestly, I took that lap and then it was a couple of laps worth of building up and then I was able to really push. So we got a question from uh, Blue Sky. This is from Sherlock and it kind of you know, builds into what you were saying about the uh, the sim and preparation. And uh, and they ask, you know, what kind of preparation does it take to get someone behind the wheel of an F1 car for the first time? Yeah, um, well, obviously, lots of preparation goes into it. And the sim is the best tool that you could possibly have. And we, our sim here at Aston is just incredible. And the amount of development and everything that's gone into that is second to none. So it's so lifelike. Um is it genuinely is the next best thing to driving the real thing. The only thing that you don't get is as much G-force under braking and cornering speeds and things like that. It doesn't move like a car, but all the processes are exactly the same. And there was obviously so much to learn for the steering wheel as well, because there are so many more buttons that you use during a session than what you would in other things that I've raced before. So mm. it's really just a bigger and better piece of machinery, I guess. Like how many uh, how many hours do you think you you spent uh, on the sim? I mean, I've I've done one before in the past, and I mean they're not they're not for everybody, right? I mean, some drivers like them, some drivers don't. I actually really enjoyed it, and you know it took me a while to um, figure it all out. But then yeah. you know once I did, it became actually kind of addictive. Mm -hmm. um, how many hours do you think you you say you spent on there? That's really difficult to tell, to be honest, because it's not as if I I just been in the sim to prepare for Budapest. I've been in the sim previously driving other things and other circuits 
Um, so it's difficult to pinpoint. Maybe I had a whole day dedicated to Budapest and a few hours on another day. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's difficult to pinpoint because I'd spent time on it before for other circuits and stuff. So, um, but this was obviously the 21 car, so the processes were slightly different. Um, but yeah, just as much time on the Sims you can get mm. is the best, to be honest. Uh, Taylor Ray would like to know, when you first got into the car, were you more nervous or excited? I would say my overriding feel was excitement. Don't get me wrong, there were times where I was nervous, but any time that I ever felt nervous, I just kind of said to myself, this is what I do. I, I race cars, I've been racing cars my whole life, and I felt so ready, and the preparation that I put into it, I think stopped me from being overridingly nervous because I felt so ready. Mm -hmm. Had I not felt so ready, perhaps I would have been more nervous, but of course there was a little bit of nerves here and there, but they weren't overriding at all. I was just excited to have the opportunity. What was your um, what was your physical training like for you know for all of it? You, I know you did say like back in twenty twenty two you kind of got the the nod that this could happen, you know. So how many hours, weeks, months of training did you you know really have to commit to to sort of I guess building up and getting ready for it? Well, honestly, like I spend a lot of time in the gym anyway, just because as a racing driver, you need to be as fit as possible and you always need to be more ready than what you think in case other opportunities arise that, yeah. say, for instance, I was training for, I don't know, Formula 3. Mm -hmm. I'd be training as if I was training for Formula 2, just mm -hmm. in case that opportunity came up as well. So, again, that's a difficult question to to answer in the way that how much more did I do because I was just training to be as fit as I can. I probably put more effort into my neck um, because obviously you go faster. Um, cornering speeds are far greater. The braking distances are far smaller. So I really paid attention more to my neck. But in terms of actual tra my training didn't change that much. I maybe just went a few more times when I could. And what was great actually is my work schedule had kind of cleared up for a couple of, I don't know, I think it was I had two two months where my work schedule wasn't that busy. So I was able to really, really go and just hit the gym as hard as I could and basically live there. But I paid a lot of attention to my neck mainly. Mm. Uh, this one comes from at Forest of Fun. Do you think that your recent F1 test will pave the way for future uh, women drivers in F1? Well, I hope so, yeah. I think... I think I've proved that we're capable. Um, so, but what I really do think is that it's not so much, yes, okay, I do help, I do hope that I help pave the way, but really I think I often get asked why there aren't more women in Formula One or why there are no female Formula One drivers. And I think that the answer to, whilst there were so many different reasons, one of the biggest one is that there are so many few, there are so many less women that start racing every year than what there are men so by law of averages of course we're not going to see a woman in formula one racing because people fall out a lot on the pyramid for, for multiple reasons men fall out along the way as well whether that be they're they they're not good enough or they don't have the funds behind them or they're not driven enough or they find another interest or something you know so but if we start with so many less women of course by the time you get to the peak, there are so few Formula One seats, it's not going to be a woman. So I think the key issue that we need to address is 
of getting more women to start and letting women understand that that is accessible to them as well should they wish it to be because when I first started I just think I wouldn't have known a woman could do that because I couldn't see it so um yes we're, but we're a lot further forward than what we were when I first started because when I first started I could name on one hand the amount of female racing drivers now there are so many more we're still not quite there yet but we're definitely making headway Jessica did you get any advice from Susie Wolf at all in preparing yourself for this F1 test. I mean, she also competed in a free practice session back in 2015. And then obviously, I mean, she's got all of that, you know, F1 experience and being in motorsports for, for just so long in her career. Yeah, I guess Susie, Susie and I have been intermittently in contact from a few years now, I guess. Um, but the, t the team gave me everything that I needed here. Um, they made me so prepared. And I guess, yeah, I guess I had everything that I needed here. And that would have mean telling somebody else as well, which uh, I wanted to keep as, as small as possible, as small a circle as possible, you know. So, yeah, I got everything that I needed here and the team were fantastic in preparing me. Megan asks, what do you think it will require for women to be able to compete for seats in F3, F2 and F1? What we need, I believe, I believe that we've had women, first of all, there's nothing stopping women from doing these championships. But I believe we've had women that are good enough. I believe we've had women that are determined enough. I believe we've had women that have got the passion and the drive to do it. And I do believe we've had the women that have had the correct funding. And what I believe we haven't had is a woman that's had all of those ingredients so the more women we get in, the more chance we have of finding a woman with not just one woman, I mean women that mm -hmm. have got all of the ingredients to go up through the ladder and, and get there. But certainly my generation, there was nobody, not that there was nobody, but there was nobody that had the, every single piece of the puzzle. But the more we introduce, the more chance we have of getting there. You've driven like a number of different cars. Uh, you've gotten to do, you know, some pretty cool things. I was taking a look at, you know, your bio and, and all the, you know, fascinating things that you've gotten to do. And this is a great question from Stephen King. And he was asking the preparation change for you mentally, uh, given that vast range of, uh, of, of roles that you've had. You know, you've got to race W Series, you know, obviously now you get to do the F1 test and uh, stunt driving in, in Bond films. So, yeah, how does that preparation change for you for each different discipline um i guess the process is very very similar no matter what i'm doing um in terms of mindset i i, I genuinely just think you need to go you need first of all you need to be relaxed um prepare yourself and it's it's very easy for people to just say just relax like mm -hmm. it it doesn't just happen like that there are so yeah. many processes that you have to go through to feel relaxed and I think if your preparation is what it should be, being able to relax comes so much easier. It, it's just a part and parcel of being prepared. So, but mindset is something that is very, it's sport, I think, in general, and maybe perhaps motorsport as well, is 90% a mind game. Um, and that's something that I've had to work on in the past. You know, that's something that I can... 
I can keep fit and I can do this and I can I have people around me that help me keep fit and uh, advice I can go to people from but the mindset is a completely different story and I found in my racing that I really had to work on my mind and I still do this now the mind can be so detrimental but can also it can be your worst enemy and it's your best enemy so I found my mindset was so key and that's something that I had to get outside help from mm -hmm. and I still I'm still a massive advocate for that now and it will it was the biggest change in my performance that there's ever been. I found my mindset because I got myself into, you know, I, I was worrying about silly things that I, I didn't even know that I was worrying about, but I was. And as soon as I addressed that, my performance got so, so much better. A question from uh, Logan Reed, and they ask, should there be more enticement for a series like F1 Academy to have a reward in place for winning the championship, such as funds or a link to a seat in Formula 2 or Formula 3, uh, kind of like how Indy Next works with IndyCar to fund some races? Yeah, I mean, that program, I guess, in the USA is amazing, first of all. But F1 Academy is very new, you know, we're still trying, seeing what's working. Um, there's been so much to go through and it's step next year is bigger and better. Um, obviously, with a Formula One team having a driver in the series. So, yeah, we're making steps and perhaps that's something that they will look at um, in the future. But the natural progression isn't to stay in F4 you know, for years and years and years, the pro normal progression is to always move up, you know, and that's the same in any championship, really. Um, but yeah, I guess that's something that maybe they can look at in the future. This is a question from Sam, uh, and it's actually inter an interesting one because in an F1 car, there's like there's so much that you can change with it. Uh, I, I remember speaking with, um, I believe it was Felipe Massa when he was racing for Williams in 2017, and he was explaining to me like how you could actually adjust the the steering column setting for uh, different levels of feel with the car. Um, Sam asks, how difficult is it to adjust to the amount of steering wheel settings compared to lower tier formula? Um, I guess, as I said earlier, there are, there are so many more buttons involved yeah. in Formula One than anything that I've driven before. And there's so many... And a, a lot of them I wouldn't have needed on a test day like that anyway, but I needed to know them just in case. Um, and, yeah, you're moving a lot. But as soon as you know what's happening on the steering wheel, to, once you've learned it, it's fine. Mm. What would be the worst-case scenario is if they told me to do something on the steering wheel and I was like, what does that mean? Yeah. So I'd learned it, and, um, yes, there were changes in my day, Um but I'm sure that there are many more that I didn't use. How, how long do you think it takes? Like, because, uh, you know, I know of, like, some drivers who have spent, like, months trying to learn the entire steering wheel and then all the different, like, map settings that they can do to it. And there's just so much information that, 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 that are on these steering wheels now. I mean, like, is it something that you spend a lot of time with uh, yourself? Like, take, taking a look at it, like, okay, I need to memorize this here, this here. Yeah, so. yeah, of course. And there were all processes, uh, all processes that we'd gone through on the simulator as well oh. so again it's just so you can change all of these things in the sim as well so um it was it was like not made easy for me but we've done lots of practice on the simulator and i can't stress enough how key the simulator is to learning all of those things not just the driving but all the buttons that you have to press and we drove the simulator as if we would have done 
in real life. Last one here from the fans. Uh, Parth Lad wants to know uh, what it's like working with Fernando Alonso at Aston Martin. <laughs> well, amazing to begin with. <laughs> um, he's a really, really great guy. Um, very passionate and so driven as well. Um, I've had the luxury of working with a lot of drivers, especially this year because we've got a few more. And last year with Sebastian, it was great. And whilst it's not obviously... You, I can't compare my data to, or for instance, with my racing, I couldn't compare his data with my data because they're two completely different cars. Yeah. And, um, or I couldn't compare his Formula One data with my something else I was racing data because they're so different. But what I can pick up is processes and what they look for and the way that they communicate and how they prepare and how they debrief, how they, so many different processes and each different driver has a slightly different way of going through all of those processes um so yeah he's fantastic to work with and i'm very lucky lance as well i've learned so much from him um sebastian as well also we've got felipe Drogovic as well and stuffle and i've really i've got so many champions around me i couldn't be in a better place so Jessica, what's next? What's next for you? Like, uh, is is there any racing like coming up on the horizon for for yourself? Are there any more tests? Like, what what comes next? Do you think? Well, obviously, I, you know, I'd like to drive the car again. That's first and foremost. But I I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know if that will happen. I will obviously push for it. Never say never. I think I did a good job. So I did everything that I needed to do to ensure that should the opportunity arise, I I will be back in the car. Um, but yeah, as far as my racing goes, um, I've got one race less, left this year. I'm racing with the University of Wolverhampton in the UK. Um, but, and I'm sure we will probably go again next year. But honestly, I really need to bring some sponsors and some partners to work with me to, to ensure I can go racing and work with me. And I get to do, I get to work with them as well on, on things they need. But unless, I, I, I'd really like to race in Aston Martin GT car. Um, or just a, a GT car of some sort. Um, that's my goal, but I can't do that without sponsors and partners that are willing to work with me to do that. You need to get uh, you need to get in that Aston Martin Valkyrie. That thing is awesome. Yeah, yeah, looks cool, <laughs> doesn't it? Yeah, uh, Jessica, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Thanks again to Aston Martin as well for for setting uh, all of this up. Um, Jess, let everybody know where they can follow you and yeah, what your social media handles are. Uh, at one Jessica Hawkins. I'm most active on Instagram, but I do have Twitter and TikTok as well. Awesome. Jessica, thanks again for taking the time to do this. You've been listening to Nailing the Apex, everyone. Uh, to get more, you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Please head on over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and a follow. Same goes with Apple Podcasts as well. Write a review as it really helps us grow the show. And you can also watch us on YouTube. You can follow me at Tim Haraney on social media. And we'll talk to everybody later. <laughs> <laughs>